Support for this episode comes from eBay. Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. The cut. 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 Suddenly, it seems like everyone I know is reading Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. It's lauded as one of the first novels by an openly trans author to be released by a major publisher. And it's so good. It's a delicious and deeply queer novel about, as an extremely crude top-line summary, three people trying to learn how to create a family together. Three people, two couples, one baby. That is author Tori Peters. And to try to summarize the whole plot of Detransition Baby would really do the book a disservice. The story is dramatic and convoluted and hard to capture. It's about family. It's about motherhood. It's about mothering. But at the molten core of it all, it's about the way we all present our genders, including cis people. You can change genders in, inside of a sort of larger umbrella of womanhood because you're born with like a certain type of body and you have a certain kind of presentation, but you decide that you want to be a different kind of woman and you essentially transition in the same way that male to female transsexuals like myself have transitioned. And that transition happens because usually it's something that doesn't feel right internally to you, that the expectations that you're putting on yourself to be, for instance, the kind of woman who shaves her legs every day don't feel like the right expectations for what is your gender at a moment. And so you have to do a a transition. Is that okay language for cis people to use? Transition? I I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm hardly the person to (laughs) all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I get away with it because they're like, well, she's trans, so she gets to say whatever she wants, but really, I don't know. And, and for me, the thing is like, I think the language that is most useful is is the language that people should use like i think that for for so long we've had this idea of sort of stay in your lane you don't get to do this if you're outside of your lane and part of the work that i wanted my book to do is to actually like create connections across difference through analogy tori peters is a trans writer writing about trans characters mostly white trans women but peters is also writing about cis characters And in comparing and contrasting their experiences, she shows transgenderness as a lens to see the whole world. I always refer to the Kardashians as female-to-female transsexuals, that everything that they do in their sort of presentation actually seems to come from sort of drag and from sort of trans 
feminine culture. You know, a lot of the aesthetics, the, the like super cut cheekbones and things like that, because it was like you're trying to make your face look more feminine, so you contour really heavily. The Kardashians are an interesting example because in some ways, you can trace the origin of everything that they've put on themselves. Okay, like here's like all the stuff from black culture, here's all the stuff from drag culture, here's all these things that they've taken. But I would kind of argue that like no one is more sort of like Kardashian than the Kardashians. Like they've created their own genre. They're not trying to be what they're referencing. They're trying to make something new and be authentically that new thing. Whether you like that thing or whether you think that thing is like, you know, appealing is another question. It's a huge question. There's a lot of internalized misogyny that comes up when I confront the Kardashians, or even in myself when I sort of fem myself up and wonder why I'm doing this, or when I judge other women for how we are or aren't performing our womenhood, if we're doing it too much or not enough. Early on, I mean, I think there's like a trajectory for a lot of trans women where you transition and like there was a time where feminist was a kind of like armor to me like I would put on my makeup to go to the supermarket even if I was just like gonna buy something for 10 minutes and it was more like this is my shield against the world and slowly over a course of years the idea that that's especially obligatory to me as a trans woman has sort of faded as I just sort of live it's like I think the ways in which it's obligatory for me become the ways in which it's obligatory for cis women or, or the idea of women in general. There's a basic pressure to like look a certain way or perform a certain way. And as a result, there's ways in which I, I purposely deviate from that. Oh, totally. It's trying to thread that needle between I'm not like other girls and I am a girl. For me, a big thing in my time in Brooklyn was buying a motorcycle because I wanted, I felt so meek. I felt like, you know, I didn't make eye contact with people. I, I was just like quiet and meek. And I was like, I remember what it felt like to take up space. I want to like try and take up a little space. So I bought this big motorcycle, this KLR. And then everybody asked me like, is this your boyfriend's bike? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I... I painted it pink, which is, I think, actually, like, a lot of where the idea of me as a femme comes from, where mm. it's, like, I ride around on a pink motorcycle, and then I, like, painted my helmet pink, and then, like, for a while, I had, like, brought my friend's small dog, and suddenly I was, like, the person <laughs> riding a pink motorcycle with, like, a small dog, and then I was, like, well, if the dog's on the motorcycle, I should probably get a small helmet for the dog, and no. the dog, I, I didn't do this, I didn't do it, but I was, like, <laughs> this is how you become the femme stereotype, where, like, each step along the way is like oh this makes sense totally it's like the extended barbie play pack like you have a pink house yeah. and a pink bike and like yeah it just stacks on top of each other but it actually was like an accidental aesthetic that was like largely in some ways defensive there's a, so many different ways of being a woman and anytime that you start trying to pick well this is what it means to be a woman like to do this thing you can find exceptions to it you know arguing about what makes a woman is immediately becomes like so politicized and can become so ugly. Whereas like arguing about a femme, you can make jokes about it. Do you identify as a femme? I identify as a low femme, which is like, I also think the idea of like high and low within these gender categories is also funny. It reminds me of like Lord of the Rings or something. Like you're a high elf, <laughs> you're a high femme, you know, like, I don't know, I'm femme. I wear makeup most days, but like, I also like have a motorcycle and stuff. All of this like, at some point, like, it becomes, like, a funny game. But, yeah, I guess in the end, 
I'm a category of femme. And this is a huge part of Detransition Baby, navigating womanhood and femness, the ways we do and don't present our genders and the decisions we make around them. Like one of the main characters Peters writes about, a trans woman named Reese, badly wants to become a mother. And it's because she loves children, but also because, as she sees it, when you are a mother, no one doubts your womanhood. Is motherhood femme? I wouldn't say so, no. Especially if you have sort of the definition of femme that I moved with, which was like queer femme, which has a lot to do with like a certain presentation and sexuality that has to do with like navigating ideas of like availability in the world. And that like being a mom, maybe problematically so, I think people see that as like, well, now you're not the same level of available as before. Do you know mean what like mean? sexually available? Yeah, sexually available or like even emotionally. You've got a child, right? Like that's now your priority. And so you're not as available for like everything else that the world needs. And that same idea carries over even even like prejudices in like the workplace, right? That like if you tell people that you're a mom, they might not give you a job because they're like, oh, well, you're going to not be as available to work extremely long hours. That's sort of what I mean by less available. I think it's distinct in some ways from the work of of motherhood, which is considered extremely feminine. And if you are a woman who is a mom, maybe you have found yourself transitioned out of who you thought you were with different habits and different presentations. Whoever you are, maybe the pandemic has changed how you present and how you feel about your gender. Maybe your hair is longer. Maybe you shaved it all off. Maybe you learned how to put on makeup. Maybe you haven't had any time for makeup at all. Maybe your body's changed. And maybe these changes feel right. And maybe they don't. I know that I have always felt like I'm not quite living up to what I think I should be as a woman. When I was transitioning, I assumed that cis women had it down somehow, that they you know, had this childhood and they, they understood what it meant to be a woman and that they weren't troubled by their failures or that they didn't even have failures as women. Like just whatever they did was magically what a woman did, like axiomatically. And basically figuring out that like so many cis women are walking around feeling like they're constantly failing as women in all these different ways in terms of their bodies, in terms of their presentations, in terms of like, are they like ingratiating enough? I mean, honestly, I think it was realizing that everybody's failing at gender that made me feel healed. The ways that I began to relate to other women as a woman wasn't around like, we're so fierce or something like that, but like <laughs> around like around like small failures. I see that you feel like you've had this failure in this way and like, I feel like I've had this failure in my way. We can commiserate and we can realize that like, the whole idea of this was unfair to begin with and like that who we are is like totally fine it's the failure actually that i felt bonded me to people so you know i actually dedicated this book to divorced women because i feel like the sort of parallel there is is the break that you live your life a certain way and then there's a break and then you have to move forward without getting bitter or reinvesting in, in illusions and so there was a way in which I really related to divorced cis women as a trans woman around, you know, for me, the big break was transition. For them, the big break was divorce. But in a certain way, both of those things were were moments of failure. You know, like a divorce mm. 
you're not supposed to frame a divorce as a failure, but like the relationship in some ways have failed. And for me, like my performance of gender over a period of years, it came to a point where I was like, this has failed. So many trans women have had to try to find role models and community among cis women, partly because they didn't have a lot of other choices. But in the fictionalized world Tori Peters built, the energy flows the other way too, where cis women have a lot to absorb and learn from trans women, especially the moms. That's after the break. Support for this episode comes from eBay. Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Detransition Baby is a book very much about friendship and family and romantic love and how the boundaries of these categories are porous in queer relationships and chosen families. I mean, you have this idea in your book of, of the mom crush. What is that? So many moms I know feel like alienated and alone and isolated and there's so much put on them. And then you see them with each other and they're so happy to like sort of share in the labor of taking care of children. But I began to just sort of think about like the sort of like affection that moms can have for each other when they've got this like shared project of, Mm. of raising children and that, like I have a stepson now, but in some ways, I guess I have mom crushes around it. Oh, that's interesting. Cause like, right. So a mom crush is more of a lateral move than like the love and respect one has for like an elder. Yeah. Yeah. The mom crush in the, in the book was between moms rather than it was definitely horizontal as opposed to you are my mom, you know? But I think that like when moms are involved, it gets really like confusing because there's a mom daughter always has sort of hierarchies of like, can you just like for a moment, like let your mom take care of things. Maternal care like inherently has a vertical structure. And in a maternal way, in a friendly way, in a mom crush way, trans women have had to learn how to mother each other. Even women who are basically the same age to check in on each other and nag each other and be the people you can call at 2 a.m. in a bind. Peters has a metaphor she likes to employ about why this is, comparing trans women to baby elephants. I said that trans women are juvenile elephants in that we're often traumatized. The original idea came from a journal in, in Nature magazine. So elephants are a matriarchal 
culture. The juveniles are raised within 15 feet of their mom for like the first seven years of their life. And then they're like close to their moms and aunts and like all these different people or not people, elephants um, (laughs) that basically teach them how to live because elephants are, you know, 15,000 pounds, incredibly powerful. And if you just like let these elephants run wild, they'll hurt themselves, they'll hurt other elephants. There's like a long period when moms and aunt elephants basically teach young elephants to control themselves, to control all of this rage. Because elephants are like full of hormones too, like rage and like power that an elephant has. And what ended up happening is in the game parks, when you had poachers, they would they would kill the mother elephants and chain the baby elephants to the carcasses essentially of the mothers. But what they ended up creating was a lot of really, really traumatized elephants, like elephants who'd seen their moms killed before them. And then also had all of this rage, had all this power and didn't have anyone to teach them how to control it. So what you had in the game parks in like the 90s were these like violent gangs of elephants that would kill rhinoceroses for sport, would attack humans, would have huge conflict between elephants. Elephant on elephant violence skyrocketed, Mm -hmm. elephant on human skyrocketed. Like elephant on human violence, I think went up like a thousand percent where just like these angry elephants were just attacking everything around them. It became a metaphor for me for like what sort of happened with trans women in, in my generation and that our elders, we sort of have a lost generation. We lost our elders to HIV, but also suicide, substance abuse, going stealth, which you know means like just passing as a cis woman and disappearing kind of into society without any like trace of your transness. We had an entire generation that disappeared from us. And so it was difficult to be trans women. We have no elders to teach us to control ourselves. And we're in some ways running rampage not so much on cis people because cis people aren't really vulnerable to us but onto on each other we we can attack each other we can say you're not doing trans right you're not you're you're embarrassing as a trans woman to us other trans women how do we square that now like how can two traumatized baby elephants like learn to be in a room together now i mean some of there's a reason why i dedicated the book to divorce cis women is that like I'm kind of saying to divorce this one, I'm like, look, we have something to offer you, right? I, I just, you just asked, like, can we use all these gender terms? And I'm like, yeah, you should use it. Use all this stuff. But in turn, help take care of us. You know, like we can actually, like there's a lot of trans women out there who could be great friends to you, who could, you know, who need your help, who who our generation doesn't know how what it means to be like thriving in your 60s. So if you're a cis woman in your 60s, Take a second to tell like a juvenile elephant trans lady, hey, here's what here's how you like set up your life for more than just this year. And that I think that there's an opportunity for exchange and an opportunity for healing for both cis women who are maybe looking for new ways to think about their gender that can be liberating to them that trans people have had to develop. And certainly trans people need the resources that cis people have. This is a beautiful and idealistic world that Tori Peters is imagining. Of course, no, we're not there yet. While all kinds of women have so many universal lessons to give each other, being a trans woman is a particular experience. And it carries a lot of wounds that cis people cannot know. And it's different across race and across class. But this book is a tender companion to these divides, 
and to these commonalities. The transition baby is a starting point for that beautiful, idealistic world, which Tori Peters is mothering into existence. When I look around at a lot of like the trans women around me, where they've got all this you know, trauma and they've got all these coping mechanisms. And so I was like, well, I'm going to write a book that creates a picture of where you are. And then I'm going to strip everything away from someone who's like you. And then I'm going to ask, what are you going to do next? And that is absolutely like a mothering, like kind of an annoying mother thing to do to an entire <laughs> generation of people. And so it's like, to me, writing, it lets me be the like er mom where I can be like, I, talk, I don't just talk to like one or two trans girls. I'm going to talk to an entire generation of them and tell them what, I mean, it's an act of incredible ego on my part, but also, you know, in some ways, just being a mother in a traditional ways, an act of ego. Mm-hmm. The Cut Podcast is produced by B.A. Parker, Jasmine Aguilera, and me. Executive produced by Stella Bugby, Hannah Rosen, and Nishat Kurwa. Mixed and scored by Brandon McFarland. With very special thanks this week to Sean Rial and David Davis. We are a production of New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Thanks for listening. Support for this episode has come from eBay. You know real when you feel it. And with eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you don't have to wonder. You know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be checked by experts and verified authentic. Maybe it's a designer handbag, sneakers that pop, jewelry that shines as bright as you do. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.